they say you got a 200 unit apartment community and 95 of them are going to be sitting there, whereas the others, they might be leasing them up. But it takes a long time to lease up your apartments. And during that time, why not make money if you're a developer? It's that time of year again, tax season. How are you doing on tax season? How's that treating you so far? Well, if you have a lot of receipts and you're organizing things like your income and expenses and creating reports, and you're also trying to keep up to date with the new tax reform this year, there's a lot of deductions that we can take to maximize return, and there's a lot of strategies that we need to make sure we're aware of. Are you optimizing for new tax laws? Well, our sponsor, Stessa, teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you the ultimate rental property tax guide. And I've read it. This is the ultimate rental property tax guide. I'm talking about they've got everything covered from opportunity zones to entity selection to establishing a home office, travel expenses, what type of travel expenses are deductible, real estate strategies, tax strategies, capital improvements versus repairs. I mean... This is the ultimate rental property tax guide, and you can get it for free by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. You have to sign up for an account, but the account is free. So when you sign up for a free Stessa account, you will get this guide. This is worth its weight in gold for sure. Go to stessa.com, S-T-E-S-S-A.com forward slash best taxes. And when you work with Stessa, Stessa is a tool that helps every rental property owner track, manage, and communicate the performance of our real estate investment. So it's going to save a lot of time during tax season, but then also through the rest of the season as we go and grow our rental portfolio and optimize that. So go to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. Get that ultimate rental property tax guide. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. We got follow along Friday today. We're going to talk about four lessons learned from last week's interview marathon session. And we got Theo Hicks with us. Hello, Theo. Hey, Joe. How's it going? It's going well. And really quick before we get into the four lessons learned, if you are a fan of Michael Carbonero, he's the magician. He's got a TV show. Check out his tour. He's not a sponsor, by the way, of the podcast. I just went with Colleen and her parents this past weekend. Check out his tour if it's coming to your city. It was a whole lot of fun. I was smiling the entire time, and it's very entertaining. So Michael Carbonero's tour. So there's that little thing. Four lessons learned from the interview sessions that I did last week. On average, I interview nine people every Thursday, sometimes one or two less, maybe 10 other times. And therefore, I speak to a lot of people on Thursdays because Thursdays are my interview day. And some of these follow along Friday episodes, we thought it would make sense to talk about some lessons learned and not to tell you everything about each of the interviews or not even mention all the interviews, but rather just pull out a couple things that I found very interesting, and there certainly are a lot of other things I found interesting that we don't have time to talk about on this episode. So here's number one. Number one, I was speaking to a gentleman named Mo Blorian, and he lives in New York City. He's 25 years old, and he has 100 units in his portfolio, and he purchases properties about an hour and a half from New York City. Mm. And when I lived in New York City, 
I lived there for 10 years, I used the excuse that it was too expensive where I lived. Therefore, I couldn't invest in that area and I had to go out of state. Whereas his mindset does not use that weak excuse that I was using because he simply, he has a car. I did not have a car, but there's always a solution, right? So I could have figured out a way to get from one place to another. He drives an hour and a half to upstate New York, and he has started purchasing properties there. He started with a duplex that he bought about a year ago, and then he got a 21 unit, and then he got a 50-some unit, and now he's got 100 units. And he's making it happen in an area that I was living in, and I was making an excuse why I couldn't do it in that area. And it just goes to show that whatever self-defeating excuse that we have playing in our head about a certain situation, perhaps look into that and see, well, is it possible? Or maybe a better question would be, how would it be possible to do what we don't think we can do? And are there other examples out there of people doing it? And I hadn't heard of other people who had been doing it the way that he's doing it. He's basically syndicating small apartment buildings and he's building a portfolio at the age of 25 years old. That's very impressive. And it was a reminder that just double check what we're telling ourselves is or isn't possible because there might be someone and quite frankly, likely as someone who's doing what we don't think we can do. Exactly. Living in an area that has really expensive properties and not knowing what to do is another common thing that you'll see people ask on BP. And most of the time, one of the recommendations is you got to just go outside of your area a little bit an hour, hour and a half. For Mo, again, I don't know his personal situation, but he's 25 years old. I'm assuming he's single. And that's like the perfect time to do that too. You don't have many commitments and you can spend an entire weekend because you can technically just do what he's doing. I'm assuming he just probably does it on the weekend. He just drives down there on the weekends to his properties or just to learn the market. Hour and a half is really not that far. You can just do it on a Saturday. When I was in New York City, I would use the excuse, well, I don't own a vehicle way too expensive, especially for what I was earning at the time to own a vehicle. But there's all sorts of other options. You could take a train up to wherever a close location where he's at, and then you can Uber around or you could rent a car for a day or there's all sorts of different creative ways that you could approach it. So there's always a solution. It's always about not a lack of resources, but lack of resourcefulness. And I clearly was lacking resourcefulness when I was living in New York City because I didn't think of this idea. And it's one thing that I should have done and props to this gentleman. And hopefully this inspires other people who live in a city that is very expensive and are using that same type of excuse that I was. Another common one is not having the money either. And I'm sure he might've had that excuse as well. And it looks like he's raising capital for his deals. That's kind of the solution that he came up with. So he had two problems, probably lack of capital and lack of easily accessible deals that he can afford. And he solved both of those by 25. That's really impressive. Number two is there's not a whole lot of insight here. I just found it interesting. And anytime I come across something that I've never come across before during 1600 plus conversations with investors on this podcast, I think I need to mention it. And this woman, her name's Paige Panzarello. She inherited a dot, 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 wait for it, a sewer treatment plant. I'd never heard of anyone on the show mention that they owned 
a sewer treatment plant. And not only did she inherit a sewer treatment plant, but it was $4 million in debt at the time that she inherited it. And perhaps she inherited a couple other things, I believe. And I believe the whole portfolio was $4 million in debt. So I don't know exactly how much the sewer treatment plant was in debt, but it certainly wasn't making money. And she turned it around in three years. And the primary way she turned it around was she recognized that it was only running at 10% capacity. So she increased the capacity. And you can learn more about that. And she's actually not even focused on sewer treatment plants now. She's focused on note buying. But it is interesting to hear that story during that conversation, Paige Panzarello. And then she gets into note buying and the importance of collaboration and how you collaborate with other note buyers whenever you purchase. They call them tapes of notes. I just assume that those were all owned by a state or the yeah. government or the, the, the city <laughs> would own that because in Cincinnati, you pay sewer to the city, right? I, I so it must, yeah. be, must be private where, where she lives. Yeah, I, I, I thought exactly. I didn't know that was an option. And I believe she sold it to the township or the city. Okay. I don't quite remember what she ended up doing on the exit. but oh, That's very interesting. I've never heard of someone owning a sewer treatment plant before. Me either. The third thing I'd like to mention was an interview with Jason Feuden, and he's got a company. It's such a fascinating business model because it's right in front of us, and most people have probably subconsciously thought of this who are real estate investors, but I hadn't consciously thought of the business model that he does. And he's got a company, it's called Y Hotels. I'll find the company in a second. My computer just went a little berserk, but he's got a company and the business model is he works with developers who are building new apartment communities. And during the lease up stage, he helps them generate revenue by renting out those vacant units to people who are short-term renters. And the company is called Y Hotel. He got the idea because he was working for a large property management development company headquartered out of New York City. He was living in DC and all these developers, they're building these apartment communities. So you got a 200 unit apartment community and 95 of them are going to be sitting there. Whereas the others, they might be leasing them up, but it takes a long time to lease up your apartments. And during that time, why not make money if you're a developer? So Jason created a company that now leases those apartments and makes it a temporary hotel. I can't find a way where anyone loses in this scenario. The developer actually gets some cash flow from units that they weren't cash flowing. People who are looking to visit that area, they have a brand new place to stay in for a short period of time, however long their stay is. And they also get a really good deal because according to Jason, relative to other living locations on the same level of living experience, it's a better deal. And I'd say the community wins too. That's around these new developments because they're getting small businesses, they're getting more business from people who are now staying there and then shopping around that area. And the larger insight here is when we are working on something, when we're involved in something, if there is a way that we can optimize a process or if there is a, a gap that can be filled, not only having that idea, but then also acting on it. How many good ideas do we have? And then how many of those good ideas do we actually put into action and at least take one step towards verifying 
or validating that initial idea. And we talked about that last week, mm-hmm. so I won't get into that much more, but it was just a fascinating concept. Yeah. When you were explaining that concept, something that came to mind was that the interview you did, it's on YouTube for sure. One of our most popular YouTube videos, interview with Sam Ovens, who does the consulting. And one of the things that he said is, you know, in order to identify an area that you can add value to and kind of consult in, what's nice about consulting as opposed to a developer is you don't really need money to do that. You just need your, your skills. Sure, you need like a laptop to communicate with people, but you don't need hundreds of thousand dollars to buy something with because you're more just providing people with your connections or skills. And he said that he would essentially ask 20, 30 people based off whatever niche he wanted to get into, like what their biggest problem is. And then he would come up with an idea to solve that problem and actually act on it. And so that kind of reminds me of this where developers, their problem is half the units are vacant for a long time. So the solution is, well, let's temporarily fill those rooms up with hotel tenants and then actually going out there and talking to the developers and doing it. And so for people out there that don't have a lot of money that can't actually buy real estate themselves, strategies like that where you go out and ask, let's say eventually you want to be an apartment syndicator. We'll go out and ask 20 apartment syndicators, what's your biggest problem? What's your biggest pain point? And then figure out a way to solve that problem with whatever skills that you have. And maybe that could be either your introduction into multifamily or that could just be your business in general. Thank you for that. What a great way to put a bow on that and make it very actionable for listeners to ask that mm-hmm. question to whatever audience they're looking to start being more involved with. So love that. Thanks for mentioning that. And the fourth and final thing that we'll talk about from my last week's interviews, which by the way, all the interviews that we're discussing, the insights, they're going to go be published in about 60 to 90 days. So don't hold your breath for them, but they will be coming out. That's about how far out booked we are. So the fourth thing is Christina Wise. She was a successful real estate broker and had built a tremendous business and then had some health issues, resolved those, and now is focused more on quality of life and living your best life and one thing that she's really honed in on is not blindly chasing dollar amounts to get more and more for the sake of just doing it. She talks about being more intentional about what you're looking for, what you're looking to actually achieve financially, and then reverse engineering that. So working backwards. So first step would be you need to know, she calls it your good life number. Know what your good life number is. So where do you see yourself? Where's your happy spot? How much money does it take to live the life that you want to live? Describe that life, write it down, make sure that you know what that would look like on a day-to-day basis, on a week, monthly, and even annual basis. And then once you know what that would look like, so you know where you want to be, then identify what expenses would I have to live that life. And then you can come up with your good life number. Then when you come up with that good life number, now you've got a target that should not move unless your vision evolves. And then you can put together a plan to reach that good life number. Now, I am 80% on board with that approach. And the only reason I'm 20% not on board with that approach is because I believe that we should optimize. This is my personal belief. I believe it's important to optimize all areas of my life. And one of them is the financial area of my life. 
spiritual, relationships, financial, all different types of areas of my life, I believe we're fulfilled when we're growing and we're contributing and we're continually evolving. So I'm 80% on board with identifying what that good life number is and then not chasing dollars for the sake of chasing dollars. Otherwise, we're never going to be satisfied. We're never going to feel like we have enough. So I think it's important to be intentional about what that good life number is. And then once it's achieved, I personally believe, and I will continue to optimize my finances. So in other words, continue to make more money, but at least I'll know, okay, but I've already reached my good life number. And should I want to throttle down and focus my efforts in another category of my life, then I can, and I will do that. Yeah, I think it's important to be aware with really any goal that once you reach it, it's not, you're just done and you're just going to do nothing ever again. You're still alive. You're going to have to do something. So might as well, as you mentioned, continue to optimize either everything or just transition to something else. But you're going to be optimizing. You're going to be working towards something. But I do really like the concept of specifically stating exactly what you want and then figuring out what you need in order to get that and then kind of working towards that. And once you get there, you're going to set a new good life number or just kind of change it to something else more qualitative. So I like that concept. That's the last one, right? That's the last one. One, two, three, four, baby. I think my favorite one has got to be that sewer treatment plan. That's <laughs> when I read that, I was like, is it a typo? Nope, it's not. Someone owned a sewer treatment plant. I'm looking forward to listening to that interview because I want to know how that person got into that. And I want to know what it's like to kind of be at one of those places all the time, mm-hmm. if, she, if she even was there. All right, moving on to the trivia question. So last week's trivia question was from the renter's perspective, what's the best month of the year to rent? That'd be what time of the year can a renter get the lowest least rent on average? And the answer was February. So February, if you're a renter, then that's when you want to sign a lease. Oh, sorry, I was thinking about it. You might not have the best selection of units at that time because since that's the time of the year where you get the lowest rent, landlords might not want to have their leases end at that time. Which brings us into this week's question, which is a flip of last week's question, which smooth, is from... Smooth, smooth transition. <laughs> You're a podcast all-star. Appreciate it. So from a landlord's perspective, was the best month of the year to lease a unit? So on average, what month results in the highest leased rent? Oh, well, I'm going to say August. And the reason why I'm going to say August, even though that's a little bit after the peak rental season is that's where you've got families who are scrambling to get into a new unit before school starts. And therefore, there's a premium and increased demand during that short period of time there. So I'll say August, even though if I were to put money on it, I certainly wouldn't put money on August. I'd put it on a, a month or two earlier than that. Okay, well, guys and girls... We're listening. If you want to have the opportunity to get the first best ever book, submit your answer either via email at info at Joe Fairless, or you can just do it as a comment on the bottom of the YouTube video. And the first person to get the answer correct will receive that book. And then lastly, make sure if you haven't already, purchase a copy of the best ever apartment syndication book on Amazon. Leave your review and send us a screenshot of that review for your chance to have your review read aloud on the podcast, as well as to receive an email with a folder to a whole lot of apartment syndication goodies, documents, and resources to, to help you on your journey. This week's review comes from JL. They said, don't shortchange yourself. If you know that multifamily is the vehicle to create the life you want, make the investment in yourself and this book. This book is a clear step-by-step guide 
to completing your first apartment syndication. This book, however, will not take action for you. If you are looking for more depth, that comes from experience. Just like a product without sales is a concept, not a business, education without action is useless. Agreed. Thank you for that review, and thanks for taking time out of your day to share that with others. And best ever listeners, hope you enjoyed our conversation. Hope you got, most importantly, value from it. And we will talk to you tomorrow. Stessa is the essential tool for tracking your rental properties, and it's going to save you a tremendous amount of time during tax season. Stessa organizes all of your rental property financials and automatically creates all the reports you need to file your tax return. And Stessa teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you, best ever listeners, the ultimate rental property tax guide to help you maximize your deductions. Get that copy when you sign up for an account. The account's free. So get the copy by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. That's S-T-E-S-S-A dot com forward slash best taxes. Ever wonder how the top in real estate got there? The Invest This podcast hosted by real estate investor Scott Bauer interviews the top names in the industry, giving you the tips and tricks that help you catapult your real estate business to success. Find them at investthispodcast.com.